Let me read to you the uh, focus scripture for our text today. Well, it's already up there. Good. How about that? But here's the scripture. Verse 21, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Amen. Our subject today is toasting to the devil. Toasting to the devil. Our subject today is one that some of you may or may not be able to identify with. I think because the only time that we really get involved in toasting is sometime after a wedding reception. But the toast is a ritual where a drink is shared in an expression of gratitude, respect, and flattery of the one that's being honored. Now, this definition can be applied to the Lord's Supper. Every first Sunday, we, like most fundamental churches, gather to honor our Lord and our Savior for his blood sacrifice. His substitutionary death paid our unpayable sin debt. That's mercy. But his resurrection also gave us eternal life. And that's grace. So in obedience, here we are. We come to offer what I believe would be considered a spiritual toast to the Lord for his mercy and his grace. You see, after every toast, there's some expression of why we're toasting. And we are here, and at the end of the service, we're going to express that more graphically. But in gratitude, we should honor the Lord not just on first Sunday or not just on Sundays. We should honor the Lord every day. In other words, we should offer a spiritual toast daily to the Lord. The manner in which we live our lives should be that visible expression of what took place on Sunday. However, we're not careful. We're not prayed up. If we're not Bible-focused, our spiritual toast will not be to the Lord. This is the warning that the Apostle Paul is given to the Corinthian church in our text. The background scripture for our text starts at the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1, actually through 5. And here's how I read in the New American, excuse me, in the English Standard Version. For I do not want you to be unaware, as King James says, ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul starts his warning with a history lesson. And some of us need to remember, and I know we've been far removed from our history. Not only the history that they teach in school, but the history of our ancestors for those of us who are of slave descent. One of the problems is, and I know this is not a youth Sunday, is that the young people don't want to listen. But a bigger problem is we don't tell them. Some of us are ashamed for some of the things that happened to us. We think we've got where we've gotten on our own, and we won't tell them how difficult it was or who brought us over. We might tell them our story, but if it wasn't for the grace of God, Paul starts his history lesson by recounting the journey that Israel, God's people, made from slavery to freedom. Paul uses this word all five times in the first four verses. He lets the reader know that they are recipient of divine blessing. But in verse 5, he expresses God's dissatisfaction with his people. Now, I want you to understand that Paul is referring, the background is referring to the Old Testament, but he's talking to his people today. Because you got a lot of people say that was the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, that doesn't apply. Hold that thought. Paul uses a word or a phrase here, not please. King James says not well please. But this phrase is mild compared to the righteous indignation of God. In other words, God was really ticked off. It's a strong phrase that implies disapproval or rejection of something as an offering. I remember growing up with two older sisters and being the only boy in the household until I was 16. I only had one job, and that was to take out the trash. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember to take out the trash. And when my father got home, Dave, that you remember to take out the trash? No. But I was intending to. See, that was my offering, my good intentions. But after several times, he said, I'll let you slide those other times. But this time, I've got to take some action. In other words, when my daddy took me to, and he really had a toolbox that I had to lay over with a razor strap, he was expressing his disapproval with my sacrifice 
of saying I had good intentions. One application of this word please or not please is not to delight in something. So when we look at what Paul is saying, he's saying God is not delight in what you are saying or what you are doing. Let's go back to the first five verses. Even though they were recipients of divine blessing, they all partook of all these good things. They all did these, quote, good things. But God was not well pleased. For the brevity of time, I won't go through verses 7 to 10, but they identify what God was not pleased with. Why was God not pleased with his people? Verses 10, chapter 10, around verse 7, says that they were guilty of adultery. Verse 8 said they were guilty of immorality. Verse 9 said they were guilty of unbelief. And verse 10 say they were guilty of being ungrateful. And verse 10b said they were guilty of mumbling. And let's just camp here just a minute. I think most of us are probably saying first response that I would not be guilty of adultery. Some would even dare to say, and some may be lying by saying, I'm not guilty of immorality. But when he talks about unbelief, if you're in faith development this morning, you understand that it's more than just a thought. It's being convinced of something. And then when you think about being ungrateful, how many of us sit down to eat and we say a generic can thank you for the food? But because we got so much in our pantry, so much in our refrigerator and freezer, so much in our bank account, that we really don't know how to be grateful. Some of y'all can identify with me. When we talk about being grateful, Brother Taylor, for just going to the wall and flicking the switch and seeing light, whether you with Flint or Georgia Power, you were thankful for the light, but only after you didn't have it for about 50 hours. And I imagine some of those people who had to go and boil water used to just turn it on and just drink it. You were thankful for that water then. But why does God have to send an Irma for us to realize that everything comes from God? I mean, some of y'all had money, but some of these restaurants couldn't open up. We just take too much for granted. Okay, I'll give you credit. Maybe you were grateful. But this last one in 10B, 
They were guilty of murmuring and complaining. I want you to learn to listen to yourself. Because we complain about everything. Sometimes it's manifested in road rage. Sometimes it's manifested in the spouse we chose. And those I said we chose, God didn't give them. We complain about the clothes we wear, and then we complain about other people that can wear the clothes that we can't. I find myself complaining about HGTV showing the same program over and over again. But I have to remember, Kalea, that was the time when I lived in Atlanta, summer here, I didn't have a television. After the history lesson, Paul turned his attention back to the current status of the church at New Pine, I mean the church at Corinthian. He explained his purpose for the history lesson. Look with me in verse 11. Now all these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age have come. The word admonition literally means to mourn. But in this context, it has a sense of this. To call attention to what is being said with an expectation of a response with wisdom. Now put it to you this way. Somebody once said it's a fool who does not learn from the mistake of others. If you get to a cliff and somebody jump off and you see that scattered body down there, do you jump off too? You know what fire will do. You see other people with marks are burning, but yet you still stick your hand in the fire. You know that when you see people going to jail for trying to deal drugs who thought they were going to make a million dollars, but they still do it. And these professional athletes who make all this money, they see how some of them break their leg and then go bankrupt in five years. You would think that they would learn when they get that contract to save some money. But as a society, we just don't learn from the mistakes of others. As DC Talk said, I had to learn it the hard way. That great inventor, Henry Ford, once said this, if you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you're getting. This was Paul's message to them. And we're talking about a New Testament church. And because of this, this is what Paul said in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved brothers, flee idolatry. 
I speak as a wise man, judge for yourself what I say. Because Paul recognized that the idolatry was the key to all the other things. And there needed to be a change. Paul was saying, learn from the errors of your ancestors. See, idolatry was an issue for the Israelite in the Old Testament era. Idolatry was an issue in the New Testament early church at Corinth. And idolatry is an issue for us today. Even in this age of grace, idolatry is an issue. Idolatry applies to anything, anything that we put before God. And I want you really to think about that. What does God desire when it comes to worship? Have he told us to assemble ourselves? Is that scripture? It says, fail not in the kingdom. Do we fail too? And we give reasoning such as I'm tired today. It got awfully quiet in here then. A dodge applies to anything or anyone that you place before God. But like many of us, the Corinthian church were saying, we ain't doing that. You see, they had been deceived into believing that God was pleased with them simply because of some spiritual practices that they were keeping. One particular practice was key. And Paul had to shock them into reality. When he said this in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not communion of the blood, excuse me, the body of Christ? For we through though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There were those in the Corinthian church who were faithful every time the church got together to partake in what we call the Lord's Supper. And they were still participating in the idol feast. Paul said this was contradictory and unacceptable. And he explains his reasoning in verse 20. Rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Many of the saints at the Corinthian church had not let go of their past life. They had confessed Jesus as Savior, but they had not honored him as Lord. They did not come under his lordship. They had one foot in the church and one in the world. They were dancing on Sunday 
in the synagogue. And if they had a club then, they'd been dancing on Friday in the club. But pastor, ain't nothing wrong with dancing. The show ain't. It's just something wrong with your partner. Paul warned the Corinthian church of this contradictory of their lifestyle. He spoke of a moral and a spiritual impossibility. Notice what he said next in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? The Greek text suggests this is something that's absolutely and in no way can be done. The participation in both the Lord's communion and the devil's communion are at the opposite end of a spiritual reality. You see, when we partake of the cup and the bread of the Lord, we enter into a spiritual fellowship with him. Let me see if I can make it a little plainer for you. When we do that, it's a symbol that he sits on the throne of our lives. When we partake of the things of the devil, when we ain't got out of the world, it's a sign that the devil still sits on the throne of our life. Y'all hear me that there can only be one throne. There is only one throne. Therefore, there cannot be two masters in one life. Jesus does not play going around the roses. Whatever that game is where you sit in a chair and all of a sudden you got to get up when the music starts again. And then the devil sits down. You see, there can't be but one communion. There ain't two. Why he says in the last part, are we stronger than him? God is a jealous God. He is jealous for us. And he wants all of us every day. Let me give you another example. I had uh, two people today put a ring in my finger and showed me that they were engaged. Now I thank God for that. Want you to think about this. I don't want to do that because I don't want to mess nobody up. But I'm, I'm going to do it anyway, so I miss somebody else. <laughs> now, Jamin out there has asked Allison to be his bride. She got a ring on her finger. <laughs> I got the date of October something in 2019. Okay? Now, all this time doing this courtship, let's just say that Damon and, and Allison says I do. And then after he leaves the church, 
He go and get his old girlfriend, they go on the honeymoon. That's what Paul is saying. How are you going to court me all this time and when the good time comes, you going someplace else with somebody else? That plain enough for you. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we have communion with him or fellowship. That's why it's called communion. And when we lift our cups up, it's like a toast to him. So Paul's words challenge us to consider the way we live our life daily. Our lifestyle should be a spiritual offering to the Lord. If it's not, it's like marrying somebody and going on the honeymoon with somebody else. The question is this. Are we offering a toast to the Lord or a toast to the devil? The pastor, how do we know if we are offering toast to the devils? I got some bullets for you. We are have continual adultery in our lives, we're toasting to the devil. If we live a life of habitual sexual immorality, we are toasting to the devil. If we live in a state of unbelief, we're toasting to the devil. If we have known unconfessed sins in our lives, we are toasting to the devil. And get this, if we have an unwilling spirit of unforgiveness in our heart, we are toasting to the devil. If we are ungrateful and unthankful for what God has provided, we are toasting to the devil. And last two, if we deny the Lord's death and resurrection, we are toasting to the devil. If we reject the Lord's gift of salvation, we are toasting to the devil. There have been too many jokes about parting in hell with friends. But the truth is, if you're toasting to the devil, you're going to die alone. And you're going to be eternally separated isolated from everything that's good. But I got some good news. That will be a heavenly party. Where all the saints that will gather at the feast of the Lord. You think Budweiser tastes good. You think Bud Light tastes good. You think that marijuana give you a high. You think that crack give you a high. You ain't felt nothing until you got high on Jesus. There will be a party where you can get down and get it on. 
but it's all going to be for the glory of God. And I'm playing mailman today, G. I have an invitation in my hand that I want to offer people to come to the feast. But one thing about it, you got the RSVP. Ain't going to be no party crashes at this party. You have got to respond see if you play. You got to take the invitation and say, mark me down. You got to reserve your seat. The good thing about it is your ticket has already been paid for. All you got to do is respond to it. Minister, take your position. I'm delegating the invitation on down to you. Is there someone here who don't have a ticket or invitation that's willing to accept it right now? 